The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm back after a long layoff of almost a month. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I'm the senior minister, senior assistant minister, excuse me, senior assistant minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the senior minister, the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells and the senior, uh, and the founder is the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. Uh, we're still in the midst of doing transformation in the world. Uh, got back from POT a couple of weeks ago, Panorama of Truth, which is the Universal Foundation for Better Living's annual conference had a great time in montego jamaica it was, it was a good time so now that i've had a couple of weeks to just handle a couple of other things we're back on and we're going to be back on for a while without any breaks so today i have a special guest who's been on the show a couple of times um, but i think that he brings a lot of good insight into new thought uh, the unity movement and metaphysical uh, bible interpretation the reverend dieter randolph how you doing there dieter I'm doing so well, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. I love I love being here, man. Beautiful, beautiful. And I know that uh, I did have on online that your wife was going to be on with you, Jennifer, but she is busy taking care of the ministry's work. So yeah, I want we, uh, we we just started doing church services, and and already we got some people that uh, we're doing some counseling with, and you know how it goes, and it's just a wonderful honor. But she sends all, all her love as always. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I, I do want to again acknowledge that uh, that uh, Dieter and Jenny wrote a book titled Branching In, which you can get on Amazon.com. So check it out. Make sure you do what you need to do to get the information you need to facilitate your spiritual growth. So uh, we're going to be talking about the new thought Jesus today. The new thought Jesus. What does that mean? Why does New Thought teach Jesus, and how does New Thought teach Jesus differently than some of our fundamentalist brothers and sisters, whether they're Catholic or Protestant? And, uh, Dieter, first of all, let me just ask this question. Why is it necessary for New Thought and metaphysical Christianity in particular to distinguish between the New Thought Jesus and how Jesus is taught in fundamentalist circles? Well, I think it's I think it's important for a spectrum of reasons. I think one of the things that maybe not the most important theologically, but in terms of being able to just talk to people, I think that it's important to differentiate the way that we do our Christianity, the way that we talk about Jesus, because when you say Jesus Christ, 
or when you hold up a Bible or anything like that, people have an attachment to the church they grew up in, the idea that Jesus is a person that they're supposed to be maybe afraid of, or that it's this character who's who's watching you all the time and isn't happy with what he sees. You know, these kinds of ideas of a guy in the sky kind of a thing. And so when we say that, they immediately are biased against anything else we might have to say. So even without the theological importance, which I think is more important, we have to say, no, no, wait a minute. We are Christian, but the way in which we're Christian is going to differ a little bit from from your prejudices about Christianity. Right, right. So one of the things that I try to get across when I'm talking to people about Jesus and new thought is I never go to the metaphysical concept of Jesus first. I don't think you can. I think, I think it's really important not to try to speak Mandarin to somebody who speaks <laughs> Spanish. And I think exactly. that that's one of the mistakes that the new thought movement goes directly into. And, 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 by trying to teach a deep metaphysical concept without addressing the elephant in the room that whether you go to church or not, whether you were raised in church or not, Jesus is also considered, as you were mentioning, uh, as an as a concept in the world, how he is viewed as a human being or as a divine being or both. And for some people, when you say Jesus, you're saying God. Mm-hmm. So if you don't address Jesus at the literal level first, it's very difficult to transition people into the metaphysics. What 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 are your thoughts around that? Well, I think that's absolutely right. And also, you know, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on in the New Thought community is how open and inclusive we are. And it's important on so many levels. But if somebody walks in the door, literally or metaphorically, and immediately we start talking about allegorical stuff, mystical stuff, metaphysical stuff that they don't have a toolbox for. Right. Then we're immediately putting bricks in a wall between us and them. We're not helping people by talking about, well, you know, it's it's all of this magical stuff and you got to read these five books. And that's not helpful to anybody, because at the end of the day, when somebody walks into your church or comes to you for counseling or whatever, they want to know, how is this going to make my life better? How can I get my healing or get over this prosperity problem? How can I get a job? You know, and we know that what Jesus taught applies to all of those things. But if you start out the the door by talking about metaphysical stuff first, they feel like you don't have anything for that. Right, right. So one of the things that Charles Fillmore talks about in Mysteries of Genesis is that the Bible um, can be studied at a literal level. He called it the body Mm -hmm. or the soul level at the moral, ethical or life application, I guess, would be what we would say today level. Mm -hmm. Or at the spirit, or what he called the mysteries of being. Mm-hmm. So, in the midst of teaching Jesus, I think that Jesus can be taught at those three levels as well. Literally, a person in history who people wrote stuff about, who people experienced mm-hmm. things with, and what we have in the Gospels is what I call faith portraits. They're not biographies. I think that. You know, people who think that the Gospels are biographies have a have a um um an incomplete, I won't say wrong, an incomplete <laughs> uh, understanding of what they are. Yeah, they're actually faith portraits, huh? It's not a videotape. You know what I mean? Right. You're talking about something that was passed down, and even in the Bible itself, you've got the four Gospels, and they each give slightly different accounts, and then that's compounded by the fact that there are so. So many Bible translations. Well, which one's the right one and all that kind of stuff. It's not a videotape. This is a faith portrait. I love that phrase. That's a great way to describe it. You can borrow it as long as you quote me. All right. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> but seriously. Uh, and I probably picked it up from somebody. You know, you, you know how it goes with ministry. Sometimes after you hear a thing, it becomes yours and mm-hmm. you don't realize it. Yeah. Um, you know, but with, with the faith portrait, you know, somebody was saying, OK, this is how I see Jesus, which is what all the denominations are doing anyway. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is, you know, Mark had a viewpoint, then Matthew had a viewpoint, then Luke had a viewpoint. And then John's has a very expansive viewpoint that's different than the synoptic gospels. That's uh, right. Far different Jesus, you know, in the book of John than there than the than in the synoptic gospels. And I think it's important for people to understand that 
the Christology or the study of Christ, or that's the term people use, obviously, for the study of Jesus as a uh, not just as the man of history, but the Christ of faith Mm -hmm. is um, has evolved. You know, if you read the Apostle Paul, if you read some of the, you know, in early letters, you see how it evolved to the point in the Gospels and then later on in, in some of the writings that are after the Gospels. It's not the same concept. People viewed him differently. And I think one of the one of the things that people wrestle with today is the universal human question that everybody wants to know. Who's right? Because <laughs> that's really the question. When mm-hmm. people show up at, at at your church or at CUT or any other church or spiritual center, what they're really asking when they're asking different questions about, well, I learned this at this place and I learned this when I was growing up in Catholic school and I learned this or whatever. What do you say? What they're really asking is who's right? Because Lord knows human beings don't want to do their own evolution and discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me what, what, tell me what to think. What book what, do I buy? What book do right. I buy? What's the secret password to get into God's treehouse? What do right. I have to do? Please just tell me what to do. Exactly. And I understand that. This is scary stuff, and nobody wants to get it wrong. And, I mean, we don't talk about hell, but if somebody came from a place where if you get it wrong, the price is eternal damnation, the stakes are pretty darn high. Yeah. But one way or another, I don't want to mess this up. I want to do God right. So can you please just take me by the hand and do it? And I don't know about you, but my answer to who's right is, well, everybody and also nobody, because this is something that has to happen inside you. Right, right. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So what ends up happening is we have um, a situation where this right answer shows up in so many things and people will will fight for right mm-hmm. instead of grow through love i you know i can remember having a um a conversation with um a relative years ago and we were talking about jesus and obviously this person was i think missionary baptist and of course you know mm-hmm, I'm just i do <laughs> new thought minister uh and you know having a conversation about the bible and jesus and etc and i never talk metaphysics like i say when i get to uh talk about jesus i deal with it at the level i just try to give or create a conversation that helps people see Jesus in a new light and the Bible in a new light. And especially when it comes to what's possible for them in, in the book that they profess to be the word, you know, infallible, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I said after, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth was this. I said, look, we might see, the Bible and differently, we might have a different uh, opinion about God and Jesus, but this is what I'm really clear on. You want your life to work. You want to have loving relationships. You want to have enough resources to take care of your family. Yeah. You want peace of mind. You want the freedom to, to go after the things uh, or the desires of your heart. You want to support the things and people that matter to you. Yeah. And from my viewpoint, the teachings of Jesus can help you get there. That's right. And it shifted the conversation. Because mm-hmm. now we're not arguing about right or wrong. We're saying, how can I apply what he taught to my own life? So I can have a life that works. That's right. And it, it, it gets you out of the right or wrong thing, because the thing is, people are still debating some of the details of what, let's say, a Albert Einstein meant about something right. or any scientist, philosopher, artist. What was Leonardo da Vinci all about? What was he really trying to say and trying to do over and over again? So if you get out of the thing of I am right and you're wrong or vice versa, instead of going, you know what? Jesus has got something for both of us, and it's okay that neither of us understand the whole picture because he's more. Yes, yes. You know, if you can do that, then then it's not, not an argument anymore. Now right. we're both working on something, and you might have a different opinion about it, 
But now we can talk. And it's so important. I, you know, when you were talking about not uh, not getting into metaphysical stuff first, I, I think that's so important. I want to I want to go back to that because it, it, it reminds me how Paul said, you've got to talk to people in the language they understand. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jesus said, don't give your pearls to swine. And it doesn't have to do with the idea that people are pigs. It has to do with the idea that pigs don't care about jewelry. You got to talk to people in a language that they can hear, and it also makes me think of you know the part of, towards the beginning where uh, Mary doesn't know where young Jesus is, and he's mm-hmm. in the temple talking to the rabbis in their language. He right. starts speaking their language over and over yeah. again. The message is clear. You talk. You don't try to make people understand you. Try to understand them first. Right. Right. Uh, Stephen Covey, one of the seven habits, seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's, yes. it's still holds true. It's universal. So mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to talk about is Jesus's concept of the kingdom of God. Obviously, in the book of Matthew, it was changed to kingdom of heaven. But scholars universally agree that Matthew, the author of Matthew, not the disciple Matthew, nobody right. knows who wrote the gospel there, you know, right. even though people think that the names matter. They really don't. Um, uh, the author of the book of Matthew uh, changed it to the kingdom of heaven, which shifted the conversation around how people viewed the kingdom of God from probably very unintentionally from uh, how I would view it as a spiritual paradigm mm-hmm. versus a place you go to after you make your transition. Um, what are your thoughts about Jesus and the teaching of the kingdom of God? Yeah, well, gosh, it's so much. I think that it is really important to to hit that concept of, of the kingdom of heaven because, just as you said, that's not what he was talking about. The word heavens, you know, when we think about it, we just mean something big, something more than. Right. You know, so it's unfortunate that, that we point up to the sky, but I, I mean, think about it. When you're trying to talk about something that's transcendent, it's a tendency to do that. But I don't think it's, you know, we got to attach any weight to it. And think about so much trouble that people got into all the way up to Galileo and stuff like that, talking about what goes on in the sky because people didn't want you messing with God's yard or something, you know. But Jesus talked about the kingdom. He said it's like a pearl of great price. It's like this and that and the other. It's like these things. He was talking in parables because, once again, he was talking to people in a language that they would understand. But the only times that he gives heaven a geographical location are when he says, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. And when he says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Yes. The only time he actually points to a place. And it certainly ain't a place in the sky. Right, right, right. And I think that's really important because those type of scriptures are just, you know, normally... Uh, brushed over, mm-hmm. um, and you know, much like uh, the 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 um, the scripture Mark chapter one verses fourteen and fifteen when they said that Jesus started his ministry after John was put in prison, which by the way is not consistent with the other gospels, but Mark was first, so mm-hmm. that's another scholarly debate. When did Jesus actually start? Because yep. it promotes the idea that possibly he was actually a disciple of John the Baptist, which is debated in scholarly circles today we know without a doubt obviously he was baptized by him but it says in mark that he started after john was put in prison and it says you know repent the kingdom of god is at hand yeah you know at hand not something you have to wait for it's at hand you know and you know then he says you know repent and believe in the gospel or the good news. And yeah. I, I don't know if you ever ran ran across um, uh, Dr. Rocco Erico's translation of that of it of that um, verse, but it's beautiful. I don't want to butcher it, but it's something like, uh, uh, you know, the time is fulfilled. Yeah, and God's sovereign counsel is at hand or near. You yeah. know. Uh, turn around and believe in the joyful expectation. There's there's something so powerful that happens when the conversation gets shifted from how are we going to get here and how are we going to escape? When you you close the book on that and instead you the conversation becomes what are we going to do about it? Right. But that's tough. That's a tough thing. It's I understand well look, let me back up. 
I think that there are a lot of people who preach the idea that heaven is somewhere else with good intentions. But mm-hmm. I think there are also some people that, that teach that because it's easier. Yeah. Because if I'm telling you that God is right here, then the natural question for you to ask me is, okay, how come I can't see him? How come my life doesn't work? How come this is hard? If God's hanging around, what what do I do about this? And it's a cop out to go, right. oh, well, God's not here right now. You know, your father's not home. Wait till your father comes home. You know, get out of here. What you got to do is pack your bag. What you got to do is suffer enough, you know, whatever, whatever, and get away. But if I'm telling you that God is right here, you're going to ask me, how do I access that? And I better have a good answer. So sometimes I think that geographically locating heaven somewhere else, putting God somewhere else is just easier. But Jesus never talked about that. Thy yeah. kingdom come is a statement of right here, right now. Yeah. So people are trying to die to get to heaven. And Jesus is telling people in the what we call the Lord's Prayer to call it to you. Yeah. 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 That's it's. It's so funny, the emphasis on escape, because if it was about just dying, why would Jesus have brought Lazarus back? Lazarus was a good guy. He knew the stuff. Jesus even said so. Yeah. You know, know, it's. Yeah. Go ahead. Excuse me. Go right ahead. If it was about suffering or escape, why would he have helped anybody? Right. Right. And, you know, and when people are about to make their transition there in the hospital, we're praying to bring people back when they can just go do paradise. Because mm-hmm. it's something instinctive in the human being that says life is important and it's the most valuable thing. And expressing life, whether it's in a body or not in a body, from a metaphysical perspective, doesn't make a difference, you know, based upon what we teach. However, if you're in the in the body temple, I'm a big believer in as long as this body is functional and the mind is what it needs to be, then you're here for a reason or a purpose. And that purpose for me at least, is to be a vehicle of of expression for God's ideas. Yeah. Now, you know, however that needs to work out individually, that's the individual. But to be a vehicle of expression, one of the things that's interesting is I think that one of the things that Jesus' teachings does when you really study them in the context of, before we get to the metaphysical Jesus, which we're going to get to, um, after the break and see if anybody wants to call in but is Jesus challenges the survival mentality you know I think that um, human beings just have a mentality of trying to survive to make it and whatever a lot of transformational organizations teach uh, that same concept um, in large group aware aware therapies places etc like a landmark etc mm-hmm. um, that People are trying to survive. That's their context. Yeah. And 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 they're always looking at something that's wrong that they have to fight, they have to defend, they have to, you know, you know, resist, etc. And when you have that type of mentality, you always got you you always have to have your dukes up because it's something to battle. <laughs> yeah. And then so and then Jesus says, Pray for your enemies. Then Jesus is saying, Forgive then Jesus is talking about love and, and, and show demonstrable love even to those who you don't agree with. Yeah. Uh, which, which, which turns your current paradigm upside down and shatters it because you can't live in the kingdom and live in the old paradigm at the same time. Well, and this is the Garden of Eden, right? You can't be in this consciousness of oneness and have duality in your heart. Right. Right. Very good point. Very good point. So I think that one of the things that, as you were saying, is it's sometimes it's lazy just to say, okay, Jesus just did it all, and I'm good now. I can go about my life because I did the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, charging $10,000 on your credit card and paying the minimum payment for the next 25 years. Oh, I've done the minimum. I'm good. No. Yeah. (laughs) It's work to do. Yeah. It's work. It's spiritual work to do. So, you know, standing up in front of a a preacher and saying, I accept, et cetera, et cetera, might be your denomination's thing. And I'm not even throwing shade on that, that people have a right to their beliefs and their values. I honor that. But even if that's your method, 
then what about the transformation of character? What about the demonstration of good? How do you show up as love and grace, et cetera? Because, you know, uh, one of the prime examples that's going on right now is with um, uh, Pastor Joel Osteen. I was seeing, you know, Christians online yeah. uh, along with other people swarming on him. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I ended up, my, my daughter's away at, uh, at college and she texted me about it. You know, when things happen like that, you know, my daughter, she plugs in and says, hey, hey, dad, what you think about this? So first of all, I said, well, I don't have all the facts, so I don't want to say one way or another. I know people are jumping to conclusions based upon yeah. things. I don't know if his church is accessible or not accessible, et cetera. I said, but but then I my second response right after that was. I said, but let me just make this point. If you let potentially 20,000 people into your facility, do you have the staff and the volunteers uh, to take care of them? Do you have the city uh, fire department, the police department, doctors, nurses, medical care, et cetera, to take care of people who are ill, in shock, devastated, et cetera? It's like it's more than just open the doors. Yeah. Okay. It's am I prepared to be able to handle potentially what this means indefinitely? Because these people, some people have lost everything, home, everything, possessions. Thing. I mean, this is it's a mess down there right now. Oh, yeah. And 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 then I asked. I said, so so I said, I don't know what all of that means down there. And I said, I hope he does open up and help people and whatever. And I hope he's prepared for it because of what happened in the Silver Dome with people being assaulted and sexually assaulted, et cetera, when they got to the Silver Dome under Katrina, because that was, it wasn't, it wasn't in order. You got to okay. do things in order. And then I replied to her. And then I sent another text and I said, have, are, are the people who uh, have the Houston Astros opened up their baseball stadium? Have the Houston Texans opened up their football stadium? Has the Houston Rockets opened up, their basketball stadium because all of those places were paid for by public money. Yeah. As if so, but, but, um, I don't know if, are you familiar with a man named, uh, a philosopher from France named Rene Girard? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So dry, he has a thing they call the dry, Girardian hypothesis. And one of the things that they talk about, he talks about, and he uses Jesus as the context for his hypothesis is, Human beings release guilt by projecting it on someone else. Mm-hmm. And so just like the old um, Hebrew process of putting all of the, the priests will put all the sins on a scapegoat, a literal goat, mm-hmm. and curse the goat and send the goat out into the wilderness to die, that when people don't know who to blame, when people have their own sense of guilt, their own frustration, like for instance, people who potentially are tweeting and Facebooking and Instagram and all this stuff about somebody else. Are you donating to someplace that can help? How do you show up as help in your life? Who are you uh, showing up as service for in your life? Always expecting someone else to do something that they don't do. Instead of dealing with their own consciousness, let's find a scapegoat. And I'm not saying that, you know, that I don't, like I said before, I don't know what the man is doing or not doing. That's not my point. Yeah, I'm and the thing is, that, could, that decision could have been made on so many levels. He might not even have been there, and there's a board of directors or, or a fire marshal or somebody could have said, look, we can't because of X, Y, Z. We don't know. Should he probably open the doors? Yeah, and he's doing that now. But there's a million reasons why he was probably not even part of that conversation to start with. I, yeah, think, it's, it, I think it reveals people's antagonism towards the church more than right. anything else. That means we got some work to do as Christians. Right, and I think the thing about it is, um, and it's an antagonism against success, mm. because one of the things that's that's challenging is, if I believe what you believe, and you're successful and I'm not, then what does that say about me? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> See, you know, I, I deal with that at a, at, a, at a real level. You know, people don't like to answer those questions. You know, like. I can't. So, so it's better to say they're wrong. They're teaching it wrong. They believe it wrong. They're not real because I'm real. Because I'm real and I don't have. Yep. And, and so you can't be real and have because 
then I would have to compare myself to you because my old paradigm is based upon comparison and competition. Yeah. And this, but when I like when I like my pain more than I like the potential for a solution, it's really hard for me to get my healing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We're running up close to the to the first break. I don't know if it's the only break now I have to see on these timelines. Um, so let me just say quickly that. Uh, you can call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. That this show, along with all the shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations. So if you freely receive, freely give. Uh, go to unity.fm, click on the giving or donate button and help support this online ministry. I would also say if you find it in your heart to um, to do unto others as others would do unto you as Jesus taught, then go on a Red Cross or Salvation Army or someplace that's on the ground, and and they, all of them have a tab that can go directly to helping support the 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 support of Houston and, and the people who have been impacted by Hurricane Harvey. So let's put our spirituality into practice. It's not enough to think it at times. Thinking is good. Speaking the word is great. But these people need physical resources. So let's make sure that we're staying for that. So we will take our first break and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Weather forecasters can provide guesstimates based on scientific data, but in the end, we cannot know with absolute certainty what the weather will be until we live it. Life works the same way. We may think we know what's going to happen, expecting the best while preparing for the worst. We can keep a positive frame of mind and weather any storm because we are one with the ever-present miracle-working power of God. We are mightier than any circumstance on this earth because we are divine in nature and a part of the eternal. We live in a world where we can realize our possibilities because we know that with God all things are possible. And the way to keep our hearts and minds centered and focused on divine potentialities is through prayer. As author Frances W. Folks wrote in her book, Effectual Prayer, If the time of achievement seems long, pray. If the way seems dark, pray. If the results seem delayed, pray. Morning, noon, and night, pray. Pray without ceasing. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word Magazine. For more than 90 years, Daily Word has helped people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Take advantage of our 30-day free trial of the digital edition. You'll receive access to the online magazine, a daily email with the Word for the Day, and the Daily Word app. To sign up for the 30-day free trial, visit unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times, only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, times are changing. This message was brought to you by T.J. Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from T.J. on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on unityonlineradio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. All right, welcome 
back to Truth Transforms. I want to make sure that you know that this show has a Facebook page, uh, which is Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you're on Facebook, make sure that you please like it. I'm requesting that you give it a five-star rating and, and p- write a positive review. The show's podcasts are also on iTunes and Stitcher, the Android app. I'm requesting that you give it a five-star rating and write a positive review. This helps the algorithms promote the show. We want to get this message out to as many people as possible. So I need your help. I'm requesting your help, and I appreciate your help in getting the message out to the world. We can make a difference one person at a time. So let's let's get it done. Um, so... Um, uh, Reverend Dieter, one of the things before we start talking about the metaphysical Jesus is I want to just find out what you're up to. You had mentioned earlier that you had um, started um, doing church services. Can you tell the audience a little bit about uh, what you're doing and where you're doing it? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, our church is called Water and Stone Church, and the website is waterandstonechurch.com. And uh, basically, this is an experiment. It's a labor of love. It's something that Jenny and I have been wanting to do our whole lives. And you know, you know my story. I grew up, I'm a third generation minister. So I, I, I've been around it forever and ever and ever, but it's occurred to me that there's a lot of different ways to do church. And so we're really trying different stuff. One of the things, for example, is uh, every single Sunday after church, you can stay around and we do some kind of social action project for the neighborhood. And uh, and one of the things we do is during the service, there's a number up on the screen. You can text in your questions. And so after I do my lesson, I do another 10 minutes or so of reading and answering the questions that occurred to people during the service and stuff like that. We're just we're doing all, all kinds of really fun things. And it's just been we had our first Sunday uh, last Sunday. We were expecting like 40 people. and We got more than 70 people. And uh, we're just off and running. It is just. Just so much fun to do, and and uh, we're going to post the the video of that first uh, Sunday service up on YouTube later today. Oh, beautiful, beautiful! And the thing about it is, seventy people is actually more th- than probably sixty percent of churches in the United States right now. Yeah, you know, so yeah, that's God, that's good. a blessing. You know, yes, uh, sir. you know. Like ninety over ninety percent of the churches are two hundred people or less. Ninety, yeah. high, actually more than ninety percent. So you know, when people think, oh, big church, this and thousands of people. You know, mega churches. You know, they exist, but the most churches are smaller churches. The mega churches are mainly just small churches in a large community because you have to find a way to make a big church small. Yeah. I know that because I work at a mega church. Um, so you know, what city are you in? We're in St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, that's uh, it, it. Right now, it's uh, we're we're in meeting in different locations. You ever heard of like a pop up shop where they just open for a little while? Well, we're doing pop up church in a number of locations around downtown St. Petersburg to find one that works right for us. And uh, so after after we get to the first of the year, we're, we'll find we will have found the space that we want to be in permanently. Well, I do know that uh, the um, the Baptist minister Rick Warren. He did pop up church for 16 years before mm-hmm. he built a church That's and right. was able to develop a following of thousands of people with a pop up church. So when people say, oh, you just have to have a building early, et cetera. No, you don't. Before you can deal with the expenses of what it means to have a building and full time. I was like, oh, as I tell people, Jesus doesn't pay the light bill. Uh, <laughs> You know, you have to know what it means to take care of, of a space. So I think pop up church is great um, because the main thing is the people are being fed. So, yeah. And, and that's been such a thing for us, really focusing on the people. I mean, there's there's two models of ministry and they're both important. One of them is called attractional, where you just I want to get people in the door and you do a lot of stuff to make yourself attractive to people. And there's good things about that. I mean, if you want to change the world, you got to talk to a lot of people. But on the other hand, you run the risk of fast food religion where people aren't really changed by it and they don't have a personal connection. The other option is what we call missional, which is I go out into the neighborhood. So you're not supposed to care about how many people come in. You're supposed to find ways to engage. And there's pros and cons to that, too. But we're working on the missional idea. And I have to tell you that it's really hard for me. I love it. It feels good. But it's hard for me because growing up with a bunch of ministers, 
That's how you measure success. How is your Sunday? Oh, it was good. We had 200 people. You know, people talk about the numbers a lot and the numbers are good, but they're not the most important thing. We're trying to measure it in terms of lives changed, but that's tricky. But right. So far, right. So good. Right. Right. It's, um, uh, you know, attendance is the, is the, um, I'm, I'm going to go back to, we're around the same age. I'm going to go back to the eighties when, uh, the rappers had to have the biggest gold chain. <laughs> on the biggest, biggest diamond rings, you know, yep. you know, with, you know, you had three fingers in the ring just to prove that you are better than the other person. It was showmanship. <laughs> and, you know, and, and one of the things that I have noticed in, after be, being in ministry for many years is most pastors, lead ministers exaggerate their numbers consistently. Oh, yeah. When you get yeah. a bunch of ministers talking to each other about their churches, it is it's comical almost. Oh, we had five million people on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, OK, like, how many yeah, people on. go to your church? Five thousand. Like, yeah. No, that's how many people you have on the membership list because people leave and you never take the membership away. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing is, is a lot of go ahead. People go to McDonald's. That doesn't make it mean they get fed. Right. Right. And that does make a that very valid point. So I want to deal with this metaphysical concept. Jesus as a metaphysical concept. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jesus? Understanding Jesus metaphysically, allegorically, uh, as an ideal, not as a person. I think that I think that that's huge. And that's sort of the next step. Like I said, and like we said, you don't start there. Start with the historical. Start with the things that he said that we can agree on, that sort of thing. But very quickly, if you start there, you realize that he didn't say, hey, okay, you just sit tight. I got you. He said, go and sin no more. In other words, stop messing up. He said, your faith has made you well. Over and over again, the works I do, you shall do also. All the way up until after Easter when he appears to the disciples and he says, basically, guys, I got to go. Because if I hang around, you're never going to understand that you've got to do this. Uh-huh. And I can understand that. I mean, if I was hanging out with Jesus, I wouldn't have a strong desire to fix stuff. You know, my wife, Jenny, is an amazing cook. And one of my daughter, who's now 22, said, you know, I, I, I like cooking, but I don't really want to learn how to cook because I got you. Uh-huh. And there's something there's there's that 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 same thing, which is why the sheriff always rides out of the town after he cleans up the town in the westerns. You know, it's the same thing. You've got to do this now. And so even if you start with Jesus's words, he's saying you have to internalize this. So I'm going to leave. But I, what I leave with you is the Holy Spirit. In other words, that inspiration in you to go and do something. You've got to do this. This has got to live in you. And so even if you start with his words, you will transition away from looking to some external character, no matter how wonderful. And start looking to what am I going to do about this concept, this Christ in you, your hope of glory that Paul was talking. About. Right, right. One of the things that the unity movement um, taught, teaches, and uh, we teach in the Universal Foundation for Better Living is the concept of Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And it's, you know, it's normally a, several definitions, you know, like, you know, Christ is the seed of God. Jesus is the understanding of the seed. Jesus Christ is the is the perfect expression or manifestation of the seed. Uh, how do you tackle the Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ? Well, when I teach it, I usually go Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And, and what how I do it is I say when I say, OK, we're Christians for all those reasons. We're Christians because we believe in Jesus. We're Christians because we believe in Christ. And we're Christians because we believe in Jesus Christ. And so when I talk about Jesus, I'm talking about the person in history, that wonderful hero who did those wonderful things. Now, we understand, just like I said before, the Bible's not a videotape, and so we know that it's not exact, but it doesn't matter. We believe in a historical concept of Jesus. We believe he was really there, did those things. Okay. So Christ, remember, it's not his last name. It's not like he had a cousin named Billy Christ or something like that. Rather, the Christ refers to a quality. A quality that we all have. Once again, Christ in you, your hope of glory. It's that part of Jesus when he said, they who have seen me have seen the Father. It's the thing that he's talking about when he says, our Father. The Christ is a, is a quality that we all have, that divine spark. And so we're Christians because we believe in the historical person, Jesus. 
but we're also Christians because we believe in this concept of the Christ, our divine inheritance, that the truth about us with the capital T is that we're children of God. Now, on the outside, we got to work on manifesting that. we got to let that family resemblance shine through, just like Jesus was talking about. But finally, we're Christians because we believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, we believe that the life and teachings of Jesus are the best example of how to live that potential. Like he has perfected it, actualized it. You want to see what the Christ looks like when you live it out loud? Jesus is our example. He's the hero of our story because he did it. And so when we say, for example, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, we're not saying, Jesus, will you swoop down and fix this for me? Instead, we're saying, I pray in the name of the potential being made actual. I pray in the name of my divine nature coming through in this life, in this person right now. And so that's a different spin on it. But I think it 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 makes sense to me reading what it says in the scriptures. Yes, yes. And. One of the things that I try to get across with people is when you understand who you are in God, then metaphysically, not literally, metaphysically, then you are expressing Jesus, not the man, the ideal, when you know who you are. Because when folks are, are ready to take that next step, in their understanding spiritually, the understanding that you are the Christ can can be intimidating. Yes, to say the least. Uh, Reverend Ike used to say that men stagger at their own divinity. I like that. Because, <laughs> and and you know who who are you to tell me with my broken life that I'm the Christ? Because the ideal is so high. And what we're trying to say is what you're looking at is Jesus Christ as an ideal, that the perfect expression of the divine spark, the manifestation of the divine idea of God, the perfect expression of this seed, uh, uh, you know, that if you have a perfect seed, which is the Christ and the soil or the understanding is the Jesus the 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 crop or the finished produce is Jesus Christ. Nice, I like that. Yeah, you know. So so when we look at it from the stages, it doesn't make a difference how potent the seed is if the soil isn't prepared to produce what's in the seed. Yeah. So so so, so I normally when I teach this I. I, I take it back an extra stage. This is just me, not because of um, of something I read, but but what came to me from doing the reading. I tell folks, people are busy trying to create the Jesus consciousness that can grow the Christ potential, the Christ mm-hmm. potential. I said, but the real conversation is growing the Mary consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's the real conversation. Because because the consciousness that can surrender to spirit can give birth to a Jesus. Yes. The consciousness that can grow your potential. Here I am, Lord. Right. That 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 moment. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Because if you know, God has already got this, if God doesn't yeah. get sick or hurt or afraid, then the problem is not in God. And I can right. shake my fist at the heavens all I want. But the truth is what I need to be doing is getting out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I have to stay busy giving birth to Mary mm, nice. because because Mary doesn't need the aid of Joseph, who symbolizes, you know, human intellectual understanding. Right. Human intellectual understanding can't give birth to the awareness that can develop your Christ potential. That's right. That's right. And so, so as at the metaphysical level, when we start talking about Jesus and what these concepts that these early writers like Charles Fillmore and Emma Curtis Hopkins and Ernest Holmes and and you know so many writers that we read the Neville, who I love, I'm a big fan of Neville Goddard. Oh yeah. Uh, what what they were basically trying to get across is 
you have to prepare your consciousness for this. You know, is you know, I, I've discovered even as ministers, it's easier to teach it and tell other people about it than it is to practice it. And <laughs> well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, way easier. And uh, I'm sure you've had the experience of teaching somebody, and they completely believed you even while you weren't fully practicing it, and then they massively out-demonstrated you, and you're like, man, they're using my stuff. <laughs> and I love that. That's how it's supposed to be. But, you know, it's there's this thing that happens. I call it – this is an extreme example, but I call it pulpit disease, and that is when, when, a, when a minister or whatever religious professional, whatever you want to call them, depending on the denomination, you get used to standing up in front of a bunch of people and saying important things, and you can start to decide that everything you say is important just because you said it. And that happens all the time. That's pulpit disease. And it happens. And you got to keep yourself in check because the name of the game is getting your ego out of the way. That's when Mary says, you know, when the angel appears to Mary and says, look, this is going to change everything. Right. You know, you're going to have this baby and it's going to change everything. And it could be dangerous for you. I mean, showing up without a without a dad for your kid is looked bad upon now. Back, yeah. back then, it could have meant your life. Right. And she didn't say, you know what, I can't make it. I got an appointment. <laughs> she said, here I am, Lord. Right. right. Over and over again, John the Baptist says, you know, Jesus is coming and I must decrease so that he can increase. In other words, I got to get my ideas and my ego and my stuff out of the way. And I love that John the Baptist moment because basically he says, I baptize with water. In other words, I can clean the outside of this. Yeah, But the one who comes to follow me will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's going to consume everything. Yeah. You've got to be willing to set everything aside and get your ego and your stuff out of the way. And I think that's really important because so often people think that prayer is a process of telling God what he's supposed to do. And if you learn the right techniques and you read the right books, you can submit your order to God like he works for you. And that's not what this means. Instead, it's not about how can I get God to do it my way, because once again, if God doesn't have the problem, the problem came from me trying to do it my own way. I don't need more of that. I need less of that. So instead of having God do it my way, I got to say, okay, God, how can I be the miracle? What do you got for me to do? Right, right. And and how can I empty myself so I can be filled. Now, what, and this is the, what I call the, the, the paradox of new thought that um, Fillmore talks about someone when he talks about law and grace, mm-hmm. that there's an aspect of new thought that every teacher, you and I and all of our predecessors and the people who will come after us will teach, which is how to manifest your good. Put your thought, feeling, intention, speak the word, take the actions, whatever, to demonstrate a particular good. And we teach it. And I stand behind it personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. Because you got and there's a part of this teaching. That's exceptionally mystical. That requires the surrendering, the releasing, the letting go of of what we would call now ego, feel more called personality mm-hmm. that and and, you know, that Jesus talked about when he was basically saying he who wants to follow me must. Uh, deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Now, that's a different stage of the game. Now, people think, oh, man, that means horrible stuff. No, it doesn't mean that. It means this old paradigm of who you think you are has to be denied. H.M. Katie, I think, deals with it beautifully in Lessons in Truth. Releasing who you think you are. Denying who you really are is so much bigger than that. Who you really are is so much more important than your ideas about your what you got from your upbringing, your from your neighborhood. Those are important things, but they're not the truth about you. Those are just the facts. Yeah, yeah. So I think that those are the things that uh, really matter. And I think what Jesus is trying to do was he had people who he dealt with at different stages. The people who needed to eat people who needed to see, the people who needed to be healed, the people who needed, who had uh, uh, relationship breakdowns, he dealt with that. Yeah. And he taught them a certain kind of way. Yeah. But then he had the people who were closer, that he taught differently. And then the people who were closest to him, to realize, as you said before, once they, once he got out of the way, 
then Peter and John, Peter and John walk into the gate called Beautiful, can speak the word and heal the man. He said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, this new <laughs> spiritual paradigm. Yes. I can say, pick up. Uh, he said, what? Get up and go about your way, basically. Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up. Yeah. And it. not in the name of the human being, but in the name of this, this fully the full manifestation of the Christ consciousness. Yeah. The Get up. Being made actual. Get right. up and do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I and, think that's, and don't mess up anymore. Go and sit yeah. anymore. Stop screwing up. Remember who you are next time. So we don't have to go back to this. Right. And those same disciples, we got to stop now. I'm looking at the clock. It's 1055. But the, one of the things that is important to me about that story in the Acts book of Acts is Earlier in the Synoptic Gospels, those same disciples were having problem healing a person. And Jesus said, you know, oh, ye of little faith, basically, you know, you know, this can only be done by fasting and prayer. And people are like, oh, that means don't eat. Well, you know, it could mean because I, I do know when I'm in deep prayer, I'm not thinking about eating and, uh, and nothing else. But that's not necessarily what it means. Can I fast my thinking from duality? Can you get out of the way? Yeah. And totally focus on God showing up as God, as me in this experience. And when that happens, miracles can happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, before our, our producer Jeff says, hey, guys, it's time to go. Uh, let me wrap this up. <laughs> it's <laughs> always a pleasure having you on the call. Make sure you let Jenny know I said hello. I will do, sir. Thank you very much. You know, Godspeed on you and your um, new church endeavor. I know people's lives are already being transformed, and I look forward to the next time I have you on the show. You're talking about how you're doing it every Sunday, and it's growing so fast, and God is doing so many wonderful things that you're having a hard time keeping up with God. I love so, it. I love it. So, so uh, thank you very much. God bless you all. Next week, I will have on... Um, uh, Michael Holgate and Conroy B. Wilson, and we're going to be talking about their book, The Empowerment GPA. God bless you, and I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You can choose to focus on what you perceive as lacking in your life, or you can change your outlook. You can become wise to wonderful ways of playing the game of life. Count your blessings. Instead of focusing on what you believe is missing, let yourself become aware of how truly blessed you already are. This is the way to build an attitude of gratitude. Give thanks for all of the abundance you're presently enjoying and for the abundance of every good thing that's on its way to you. Everything you need to be happy is already within you, waiting to be discovered. Unlimited happiness and fulfillment can be yours. 
Unlock the door to undiscovered treasure by building an attitude of gratitude. This law of life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.